You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Sorry we were off yesterday. Um, ended up having to stay at the radio station longer than I thought. Uh, but that's all right. You had two days to listen to the Cooley Show, which he was on Wednesday. I urge you, if you have not listened to that, to listen to it. It was great. Um, an hour and 45 minutes with him talking about free agency and Redskins players and a lot of stuff, actually, that um, added to, to, I think, the conversation in town about all of these guys that they've signed and other um, players that they may be thinking about, including players that they might be drafting, um, that you don't necessarily hear others in town talking about. So I, I would I would urge you to listen to that. Tommy's by phone, of course. How are you feeling? Um, you, you good? No, no, No signs of anything, right? No signs. Feeling good, baby. Are you not? Are you staying away from the radio station? Well, you know what? Uh, Wednesday, uh, they had me call into Chad for a segment, so I didn't go in Wednesday. And for the show I co-host Saturday morning, they told me to stay home. Okay. They didn't tell my partner <laughs> Nick to stay home. They told me to stay home. Well, that's you. Know... I don't know what that means. Oh. I mean, either. I don't know what that means. I know what it means. They're concerned about you. You that that, you, would, that <clears throat> would probably be the case since I am a susceptible age group. I would think there probably are a little concerned. COVID nineteen is gunning for you, sir. That's yes. that's what it's gunning oh. for. You've already made that very clear. Yeah. So so maybe I talked them into it with my, with all my alarms. Yeah. But uh, so as of now, I'm not going into the radio station. The only trip I've made out of. The Fortress of Solitude this week was uh, this morning when I went to see uh, a rheumatologist about these uh, pain attacks I had over a couple weeks uh-huh. to determine if I had gout or not. And uh, she didn't have the guts to pull the trigger and say I had gout and give me the medicine I need. So why? I have to wait until. Why, didn't, well, why, because... why do you put it that way? She didn't have the guts. <clears throat> Maybe well, she didn't was, diagnose it. Well, there's only. A lot of other things have been ruled out. I hate There's when you try problems. to play doctor. It drives oh, me nuts yeah, when you. To you. <laughs> listen to you. Listen to you. What do you mean Dr. that she, did, she didn't have the guts to pull the trigger and say it was gout? Well, you know, you that means you don't have doctor. gout more likely than not. No, no. I think I, if I have anything, it's gout. Uh, but uh, some doctors, you know, you go in there and they they listen to you and they say, yeah, you're probably right. Go ahead. Well, I'll give you this, yeah. you know? But there's other doctors who, who are just afraid to, to, to sign their name to a prescription pad. So, uh, talk about old school. Uh, so, uh, so she said, well, we'll have to wait and see. If you have another attack, call me right away, and then you can come in, or else we'll do it over, like, tele, telephone or video or God only know. I don't know. I don't know. I, it, was, it was not a fulfilling uh, session. Well, so if you think you have gout here, first of all, do you have that, you know, horrible pain in your, it's usually yeah. in your feet and in your toes, right? Uh, yeah, I had pain in my elbow and then both feet at different times. Well, your elbow's not and, gout, right? Or am I wrong? But it affects the joints. Okay. And, and I have, you know, I, I, I don't know if you do, but I have joints in my elbow. So, uh, <laughs> okay. So, so, you know, I, I mean, there's only – they, they did blood work a couple weeks ago. They ruled out a ton of stuff. Uh, there's only – like she said, gout or, or the Phil Mickelson disease, psoriatic arthritis. Right. And it's not that. 
I just know it's not. Well, and if even if it were, it's not like you're you know it's going to affect your golf game, right? Exactly. <laughs> you know the so I've had friends that have had gout. Knock on wood, I never get it. Knock on wood, I don't get anything. Actually, in this day and age, I don't want anything. I just want to be be able to, you know. Sleep comfortably, get up, go to work, and just have a normal life. I think, and right now, I don't know that ever, anybody's having a normal life right now. And and by the way, we have it much better than so many out there. People are losing their jobs. There are healthcare yeah. workers that are putting their health at risk every single day, which is really remarkable stuff. I mean, you know, even when you think about just you know police and fire department and all of those people, the. You know, grocery the, store, gross, grocery store clerk. Of course, yes. You know, so, um, but you know, I, I've had friends that have had gout, and they typically, you know, had a diet. Okay, so everybody knows Tommy. Tommy is not, you know, Tommy is is not svelte. You're not skinny. Okay, but you've actually gotten yourself into much better shape in recent years, and I've been very happy about that. But your your diet, you don't eat a lot of sugar. You don't eat any sugar, really, do you? No. I, I stopped drinking soda about a year ago, so the only sugar I get is what sugar that's in processed foods. That's the only sugar I get. Right. I don't, I don't have any sugar other than what, you know, what is already out there in, in food. Are you, you a know, big red it, meat eater? Uh, I'm not a big red heat meat, meat eater. Red, red meat eater. Uh, red yeah. meat eater. God almighty. But uh, I do like to partake in red meat, but I'm not a big steak guy. I would say maybe 30% of, uh, of a dinner meal of dinner meals might be red meat. Not yeah. a lot. You do drink, you know? you, you drink beer and beer, pro- alcohol, you know, and beer and red wine, which has a lot of sugar in it, obviously. But I, I know that b- a big beer drinker sometimes get gout. I, I don't, I wouldn't say you're a big beer drinker. Right. Well, here's here's what happened. This doesn't explain the elbow because the elbow started before I went to Florida, and I wasn't doing anything out of the ordinary uh, at that point. And I might drink ordinarily four or five beers a week. Okay. Yeah. Tops maybe. Uh, but when I went to Florida, you know, you go out a lot. You're you're eating out all the time, and you know, you, especially when I'm in Destin. And Tybee Island with, with with the family, I'm drinking four, five, six beers a day. Right. You know, well, between lunch and dinner. Uh, so that may have contributed to the foot pain. But since I've been home, I haven't had any. Uh, for well, I had I had a beer with dinner last Sunday night. The only beer I've had in two weeks, and I'm fine. I like if somebody said, not if somebody said you can't ever drink beer ever, but you got to lay off beer. I'm fine with a beer once every two weeks for a while. It's right. fine with me. So, but but it may have been, it may have been accentuated by my my beer drinking on the road. Okay. It well, yeah. I mean, va- vacation you tend to indulge. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we, I hope you feel better, and maybe that doctor, you know, should have prescribed you something just for the hell of it. I mean, who knows? Maybe the drug you would have taken would have, you know, fended off Corona. By the way. Um, okay. Can you get me some drugs? I don't think I can. I know get... you got you got all kinds of connections. I don't think I don't think I can get you if some. If I find drugs. out the name of the drug I need to take, can you get it for me? Yes. Yeah, find out okay. the name of the drug and I'll get it for you, of course. Thanks. Um I'm sure that'll happen. Um so a couple of things. Number one, 
I think I talked about the other day, Aaron and I talked about with Cooley, that this this mention of this malaria drug that um, uh, that, that had some promise, had been tested on uh, a, a, like 40 patients with coronavirus and had you know, had had looked like it was it was going to work. Anyway, I, I think we talked about it the other day. Are you familiar with this new new drug that there that it looks promising for the treatment of coronavirus? Listen, I block. I, I've blocked out all coronavirus, at least drug. You know, drug cure news. Yeah, I'm getting all my news now about coronavirus. From Adam Silver and the NBA. <laughs> That's a good place to get it. Uh, yes, because and, it turns out that we'd have been better off if Adam Silver had been running the country at this point. Because if you read that ESPN story that came out uh, last night about the path that took them to the ability to test their players so quickly, they were on top of this I haven't, so early. I haven't read it, actually. T- tell me about it, because uh, now I'm well, really curious. They sent out a memo January 31st. Fun thing, they had already in their handbook a plan in place from conversations they had two years ago about the possibility of a pandemic and how to deal with it. So they already had a plan in place in, in, their, in their management manuals, whatever you want to call them. And then January 31st, remember, they do business in China, a lot of business. Yeah, of course. So they were, they were pretty yeah, We, we got in. reminded of that earlier in the year. Yes, we did. And January 31st, they sent a memo after the first case in China, basically, based to all their clubs saying, these are the preparations you have to take. I mean, they, they sounded the alarm January 31st. And yet it was one of their players that basically shut down sports. Not that it wasn't going to happen anyway and eventually, and it could have been a hockey player, it could have been a college basketball player, but it was Rudy Gobert. Yes, who it shut was. it down. And by the way, it was one of their players, too, that was acting like a child leading up to it. And now you're telling me after the, the club, after these teams essentially got sur- sort of a stern warning and directions on how to handle it, Go- Gobert was rubbing his you know hands and face and sweat all over microphones and yeah. in locker rooms. Um, it makes him look even worse. You're right. You're right, it, it does. does. Uh, but the, the, the drug that I was talking about the other day, I think Cooley and I were talking about it, is this chloroquine and or chloroquine, however you pronounce it. Anyway, the you mentioned you know Adam Silver, and I actually um, said something on the podcast yesterday. I'm going to go back to it here in a moment, um, and you can weigh in. On it. We're going to get to the Colt McCoy stuff. We're going to get to all the sports stuff here, but. Um, the there, there are a couple of drugs that have been tested, and this chloroquine, which is a drug that's been used to treat malaria, apparently has been working. So they were going to hold this big press conference yesterday with, of course, the president leading the press conference to tell us about what they believe to be a breakthrough. I, I'm sure many of you watched this. It was incoherent. It was so embarrassing, embarrassingly awful I was screaming at my TV, shut the F up and let the doctor speak, you moron. 
I mean, look, this is not... I know people who are Trump supporters who also feel that he is narcissistic, you know, a horrible communicator, and, you know, and, and all of the other things you would say about him. Maturity levels low, uh, in eighth grade vocabulary, you know, whatever you would say. And still, they like him and they like their his policies, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not making this about politics. I'm watching this yesterday going, look, this is a crisis and we cannot have someone who cannot communicate breaking big news. You get up in front of the podium and you say, we think we have some really good news here. I'm going to turn it over to Fauci, who wasn't there, or I'm going to turn it over to one of the doctors, and they're going to explain it. He goes on and on, and I've said this to you before, Tommy. Narcissists make the worst leaders in crisis situations because it's all about them, not about us. Any book on leadership, anybody, any of you have ever read, will say that a narcissist in general can be a good leader, front-running leader, you know, can build a company, lots of ego with CEOs, we know that. Lots of self-absorption with major league CEOs. The best CEOs have self-awareness, are not narcissistic, and by the way, have empathy. And this guy gets up there day after day, and the only thing he seems to be empathetic towards is the stock market crashing. That's about the only thing. It's all about him. And yesterday, I thought, was one of the worst of, of it was, all so of them. It was, it was incoherent it was, it was at, at times. Bottom. It was the bottom of the barrel. And just when you think there can't be a bottom... Another bottom comes up. It is amazing that someone with all of his life experience and exposure has such, A, a limited vocabulary, and B, overall, the inability to truly truly communicate in a way that that connects in, in that kind of a situation. Now... Um, with that said, I'm, I'm thrilled. I mean, when we, I, I, I think I knew what he was trying to explain. He couldn't pronounce the drug names, none of them. He was butchering those left and right. And that's when I think the whole world, even a Trump supporter, would be saying, my God, get the hell off the podium and let somebody who can communicate and knows what they're talking about, let them take this thing over so we can find out if there's a potential treatment or not. Because all you're doing is, is making us scream at the top of our lungs. And of course, I can imagine that Nobody around him would tell him to do that. Like, dude, yeah. dude, you just aren't, you've got a limited vocabulary. You don't communicate very well. This is serious shit. You make the announcement that there's big news and turn it over and let your experts run with it. That's how you handle it. But let me go back to the other day because a lot of you got upset with me. A lot of you got upset with me when I said that personally, I think it cheapens the currency of legitimate racism to call the referral of the virus as the China, to, to the China virus or, or the Wuhan virus racism or xenophobic. I just, Tommy, to me, referring to COVID-19, you know, as Wuhan virus or China virus is not, in my opinion, racist or xenophobic. Sorry, you're not going to convince me otherwise. And let me finish what I'm going to say here, because this is a follow-up to the conversation the other day, because some of you were really Really, now many of you totally agreed with me, and many of you who didn't really were very harsh. And I don't think you heard me clearly enough. All right. In my opinion, accusing someone of being racist or xenophobic, or even just accusing someone of saying something racist or xenophobic, when it comes to the referral of this by its geographic origin, 
it just, to me, minimizes legitimate racism. That's me. That's my opinion. A geographic adjective used to describe a virus that actually originated in that geographic region, to me, isn't racist or xenophobic. It just isn't. Now, if using that geographic adjective, and I said this the other day, and some of you didn't hear this part, if using that geographic adjective to describe the virus creates an unfortunate and ignorant reaction whereby Chinese Americans are somehow discriminated against or racially confronted or worse, then I think our leaders should stop describing it that way. All right. Not because it's racist or xenophobic, but because our leaders have an obligation to protect our citizens from ignorant dum-dums. If some dummy believes that Chinese Americans are responsible for the virus because our leaders keep calling it, and people around the world, by the way, keep referring to it as the China virus or the Wuhan virus, you know, and they are, these ignorant people are spewing hate towards Chinese Americans or any Asian American, then let's stop describing it that way. Okay, so for all of you that heard me just say, to hell with the people that are being confronted about this, that's not what I said. What, is, what I said is, I don't believe it's racist or xenophobic, and I think it cheapens the currency of legitimate racism. That's what I do. That's my thought. I mean, all evidence points to the origin of COVID-19 being from Wuhan, China. And the early cover-up and the lack of transparency is at least partially responsible for this becoming a pandemic. And when someone in communist China says that referring to it as the Wuhan or the China virus is racist, understand this. They had an outbreak just last year that was killing pigs throughout the country. They referred to it as the African swine flu. That's how they labeled it. That's how they referred to it. I personally don't think people, especially in the news media, should be admonishing or lecturing people on how dangerous their labeling of the virus is. And I think they should inform people consistently, the ignorant people, inform them that Chinese Americans and Asian Asian Americans, for that matter, had nothing to do with the virus, because they didn't. And let's be real here for a moment, people, okay? If we never referred to it one time, None of our leaders, Democrat or Republicans, because some Democrats referred to it early on as the Wuhan virus too. If nobody in the world had ever referred to it as the Wuhan or the China virus, don't you think after round-the-clock coverage of this historic world pandemic that we would have already known the origin of it without it being named? Don't you think at this point, if it had never been called Wuhan virus or China virus once, don't you think we'd all know at this point where it originated from. I think we would. So I want to be clear in, 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 re, in my reaction to some of you that really got after me on Twitter, and that's fine, and I don't mind the debate at all. I don't think it's racist or xenophobic to use that ge- geographic adjective to describe this virus. It's never been for any other virus. I don't think it is for this one. With that said, if it's leading to ignorant reaction from a bunch of dummies that think that, oh my God, a Chinese American walking down the street, it's that person's fault and that person's being confronted physically or verbally, then I don't think we should use that description. There you go. I'm done. Did you want to weigh in on this? Well, I think you, I think you, it was, you made it well put. I mean, no matter how you feel about it, ultimately, uh, according to some reports, it's damaging to refer to it like that. It may not be racist, but it is damaging, uh, certainly to the conversation, to basically, you know, create a, a villain in, in, in something like this. 
And well, you know, China China it, is the villain in this. I know that. But okay. Chinese people aren't. That's that's totally true. Okay. And I mean, you know, and and look, and legitimately so, people question the motives of the president when it comes to targeting uh, people who aren't American. Uh, he's earned that reputation. So, I mean, the first move, of course, is going to be outrage and anger and cries of racism because they expect they expect the lowest common denominator from the president. They understand his motive from the past. So, I, I mean, like you said, at the very least, it's damaging. There's a name for the virus already that people were using to refer to it. You don't need to substitute a new name. No, you don't. You, you know, you don't. I just want to make sure. And, you know, the president's a different conversation because at the beginning of that incoherent press conference yesterday, he opens it up by saying, you know, basically the latest on the and he emphasized very strongly the China virus. Well, and did, did you see the picture? No, it, he had uh, his speechwriter had written coronavirus. He had crossed it out. Yeah. And put Chinese. Yes. Yeah. So he's trying to make a point. Now, whether or not you think it's a racist or xenophobic point, that's that's up to you. I'm just saying that if I call it the Wuhan virus or the China virus, um, don't call me a racist or a xenophobe, okay? Just don't, because it's not. And, and, and Tommy, you know, I think a lot of these things, and obviously we've had to confront and deal with a lot of these things over the years and more recent years, you know, it, it just, to me... You know, you got to be careful because if everything ends up being racist or xenophobic, then nothing is. You know, we know all of us what legitimate racism and xenophobia is. We do. And using, as has often been the case with any of these viruses, the geographic region as an adjective to describe it is not, hasn't been, and isn't racism or xenophobe. All right. Now, again, let me be clear, like you said. If it's doing damage, okay, and I've seen some of the pictures, some of you sent me pictures that, that look awful. Now, I don't know if this is a one-off situation or if it's dozens or if it's hundreds or thousands of Chinese Americans or Asian Americans that are being confronted with this thing. I hope it's a lot less than whatever number I gave out because it's stupid. And, but we have a lot of ignorant people in this country, obviously. A lot of dum-dums in this country. So if the dum-dums, if, if we need to protect, you know, those people who are Americans from the dummies and the ignorant people, then we should stop using it as, as a way to describe it. And we just refer to it as COVID-19 or the coronavirus, which those are the other right. two names that everybody knows. But I, I mean, again, you can't, you, can't, you can't separate the motive from the problem. It, that this, is, this thing had a name. It had it had an identity. Well, the first name it was really Wuhan virus. That was I what everybody but, but, was calling it. But I mean, go hashtag and see what the most popular name was. Yeah, coronavirus. Yep. True. Okay, so it had an identity. True. It had a name, and he's trying to change it. Yeah. Why? Well, again, <laughs> I don't think he's trying to change it. It's it was well, I already think he did. well no it was already referred to as the Wuhan virus and the China virus and the coronavirus and COVID nineteen. Most people most people don't know where Wuhan is, Kevin. Well, most people don't know where Lyme is, Tommy, or where the Ebola River is, Tommy. That's not the point. The point well, is that, is that, that is the point. that's what that that's what people were well, calling called, it early on. Yeah, but no, I didn't hear anybody call it the China virus early on. Oh, Wuhan virus, maybe. Uh, but not China I, I virus. heard both, but I heard Wuhan a lot more. That's true. 
Yeah. That is true. I heard Wuhan a lot more. I think now, most people would think Wuhan is a Disney movie. <laughs> well, maybe that's why people started referring to it as China, so we got at least some recognition of where it came from. Look, this is this is a really, really um, serious situation. We all know this. You know, this anybody that still is going to claim that the you know this is out, you know, that it's, it, it's overrated or the reaction's been an overreaction. I mean, you're, you're insane at this point. Um, as, as Fauci, who, by the way, is very impressive, said, the best possible result is if three months from now the country is saying we way overreacted to this. That would be a wonderful result, right? Because it would mean that it turned out pretty well. And by the way, that yeah. overreaction may lead to a more positive result, which for some reason, spring breakers in Florida are not getting the message at all. I, when are they going to close those goddamn beaches in Florida? How do they, how do they leave them open? Florida? Apparently, apparently neither are the, uh, the cherry blossom fans. Because I heard, I've been hearing all morning how packed it was down there this morning, viewing the cherry blossoms. Well, you can stay in your car and and view the cherry no, blossoms. Walk, walking around. Oh my God! Well, at least you're outside. Well, I guess the beach you are too. But I mean, my God, yeah. you, you, we've seen the videos coming from but there. Florida hasn't even closed re- closed restaurants yet. They're not closing the beaches. This is crazy. How about California? They're 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 the first and more are coming. Total lockdowns. What's going to yeah. happen in a total lockdown? Are you allowed? I, what I mean, I've seen the shots of Italy. We've all seen that. But if if states lock down here, or if they went to a national lockdown, does that essentially mean you can't leave your home? Yes, it does. I think, w- I with think the exception Italy, of like one grocery store trip a day or something. Yeah, I was going to say you're I, you're allowed to leave one your person. Yeah, yeah, you're allowed to leave the house because they said like they're not going to arrest you if you leave your house or anything. There's just basically an order. Hey. Unless you absolutely have to leave your house, don't leave your house. Yeah, they're not going to arrest you because they have no place to put you. They're they're not arresting people for minor crimes. They're not going to arrest you for walking yeah. out on the street. I mean, look it. There's there's no answers for a lot of this stuff. You know, uh, some of our leaders are are, are are like you said. If if the worst you can say is we overreacted, that then that's protection. That's well, protecting. Yeah, that's your what people. Fauci says. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, talking about Fauci, uh, I, I think I read somewhere he, that uh, he promised he would be at the hearing today uh, or the, the uh, session today. People have been in a panic because he hasn't been visible for the past couple of days. He wasn't there yesterday. Yeah, so people people are worried about him. We can't lose Dr. Fauci. No. I mean, seriously, he's the know, he's, he's the communicator. I would even suggest to you that Pence is a million times better a communicator oh, than, than yeah. Trump. A million times yeah, better. Well, he was a, he was a, he was a governor. I, I I understand that. He's got some Midwest I mean, in he him. He understands. He uh, he understands. I mean, whether you agree with his politics or not, he understands the concept of governing a little bit at least. I wish they. I wish when he spoke that he would get up off his knees at the beginning of it. If you know what I mean. I mean, yes. there's a bit too much of that going on with, with everybody. And that Deborah Bricks is impressive, too. I mean, we get it. You, you, you guys are t- telling us what a great job the president's been doing. We don't need to hear it every single time you ste- step to the podium. Um, anyway, uh, interesting times we're living in. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you, Tommy, my house is still crowded. Nobody's leaving. Really? I mean, we, we, we're, we're hunkering down. But I'll tell you what's happening a lot. There's a lot of food being consumed. 
I mean, it's just like, what else are you going to do? Watch television, read, um, you know, be on your phone, be on your computer, and eat, essentially. Although a lot of people are walking. I got out and walked the dog yesterday for like an hour. I love my new dog. I don't know if I've told you about our new dog. Have I? What kind of dog is it? An English bulldog. Oh, cool. Yeah, she's the best. That, that sounds cool. Yeah. It's a, what's, she, what's, what's, what's her name? Her name's Lainey. I didn't name her, um, okay. but but uh, she, she's a, she's a fun dog. All right, uh, we got some. That's great. We got some sports to get to. Um, first of all, once I saw this news, I was you know. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! What are you going to post pictures of your dog? I don't. I haven't posted pictures of my dog. I might. I, I might do that good. if I've got some time like to kill. To see, I'd like to see a picture. A- Aaron, of your I've dog. sent. You, did I have I sent you a picture of the dog? You've shown me some pictures. Yeah, I've, sh- I've shown him some pictures of the dog. You haven't been here, so I would show you pictures of the dog. Well, let's post it. <laughs> share, share with everybody. Yeah. By the way, Aaron and I are within. We're six feet. There's plenty of space between us. I would, I would estimate actually closer to seven feet between the two of us. Uh, maybe closer to six feet. Back up a little bit, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right. Oh, oh, the other thing I was going to tell you, man. There's no traffic. There's no traffic. I, I drove into downtown Bethesda. Half the places are closed. I was coming through Bethesda from Silver Spring after doing the radio show this morning. I mean, there's like no traffic. I want traffic back. <laughs> I actually want, know, us, I want us to have traffic back. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wanted to share one doctor thing with you from okay. this morning. Is it about it's the gout? I mean, didn't we go through the gout already? No, it's not about the gout. Okay. Uh-oh. <clears throat> What's going on there? Oh, that's that's that uh, post nasal drip I've had for a couple of weeks now from mm-hmm. the cold I had before I left for Florida. Okay. Uh, you know, I wore the rubber gloves, the, the disposable gloves, into the doctor's office. Right. And and at one point she said smugly to me, she says, "You know, you're really spreading more uh, germs by wearing them because everything you touch, then you know you're, you're going to have that on your gloves." Unless you change gloves, and I pulled out a bag, and I showed her, that's why I've got two or three pairs of gloves with me. Mm. As soon as I'm done here, I'll change and put on another pair of gloves. So I shut her up pretty good. What buddy. was her answer to that? She she sounds like she may have been a problem this morning. Well, well, no, she was okay. But, you know, she, she's giving me grief about the gloves. Like, I didn't have enough range to figure out, yeah, I'm still touching surfaces and stuff. And uh, I wouldn't touch my face with them. Actually, they're a good reminder not to touch your face w- with them. And uh, as soon as, you know, at a certain point, I throw them away and put on a new pair of gloves while I'm out. Right. So, you know, I was just, you know, I, I, was, I, was, I was smarter than she expected. Let's say that. I had a conversation yesterday with a, a good friend. I, I mean, I'm going to leave his name out, but he was used to be one of the team doctors with the Wizards. And he's developed um, into a really good friend over the years. And. And, you know, that is a, a profession where your first reaction would be, you know, doctors, hospitals are going to be busy. You know, they're going to be taking calls, taking patients who are going to be sort of alarmed by all of this. Uh-uh. No. They have to, you know, basically do telemedicine. They can't see patients. I mean, your doctor saw you. A lot of doctors are not seeing patients because, yeah. you know, all, all, it, would, all it takes is one patient 
that tests positive and you got to shut the whole place down and now you've infected a lot of other people. And I think that's what's going on, too, in a lot of emergency rooms. And that's why there, there's this discussion about, you know, the military getting involved in setting up these, you know, these temporary hospitals with beds so that they can see patients that don't have corona, you know, um, and, and have, you know, other, you know, significant, more pressing and probably more um, serious, you know, uh, needs, acute needs. Um, but, you know, he said, you know, this telemedicine stuff, it's like, you know, a lot of the patients that a lot of these doctors end up seeing are older. You know, they don't know how to do FaceTime. They don't know how they to do They don't know how to, how to put a camera on, on, their, on their laptop if they even have a laptop. And no, so, you're right. you know, a lot of those. There's a lot of people at a disadvantage, Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, uh, be, be, because of this. You're, you're absolutely right. I might want to point out, uh, I suggested uh, after the hostage video that uh, that the president could have announced that, you know, we're setting up temporary hospitals, we're activating military, activating National Guard, setting up temporary hospitals in these empty arenas that are not hosting any events right now. Yeah, except that they got to really be cleaned down because, you know, Rudy Gobert played in a bunch of them. <laughs> um, and other players who are testing positive. How about Sean Payton um, being the first? Um, he apparently yeah. was, was not, you know, there weren't significant symptoms, and, and he's feeling better. And, and anyway, um, yeah. Uh, so yesterday when the news came through that Colt McCoy had signed with the Giants, I just thought, man, you know, Tommy's hunkered down. He's reading this, and he's probably excited for his son, but also, you're going to be sad to see your son move out of the area that you live in. You've been able to hang out with him for six years. Colt McCoy was here for six seasons. That's really remarkable for a guy that really barely even played. Yeah, he barely even played. And listen, he's just an accelerator train right away, buddy. So he's not that far away. Uh, that's not running right now. The Acela's not I running. I know. But listen, <laughs> he barely played. He was here six years, but he had the biggest win no doubt. of any quarterback uh, over that six-year period, I would argue, that Monday night win. Not in terms of what it meant, per se. like It wasn't like a game that got them in the playoffs or, or something like that. But, uh, but in terms of euphoria, expectations, you know, uh, legacy, it was, it's the biggest. It's the biggest of Jay Gruden's tenure. Uh, boy, I didn't even consider that. That's actually a good one, too. Um, uh, you know, Jay Gruden's biggest win. I mean, you could probably say it was the game that clinched the division in Philadelphia. Right. Um, but so this morning, and we'll do it right now, and I wasn't planning on doing it right now, but I think it's actually um, it, it, we can go through a lot of these, and you're going to remember, even though I didn't prepare you for this, you're going to remember uh, a lot of these games, too. Um the Colt McCoy game, the late October 2014 game, in which he came in, started the game the week before, many of you remember, Kirk Cousins had already taken over in 2014 for RG3, who got hurt in the opener, um, or hurt early in the second game against Jacksonville. Kirk came in, had a couple of really good games, and then lost confidence, started throwing picks, and Jay Gruden benched him halfway through a game in mid-October against the Titans at FedEx Field. Colt McCoy comes in, the first pass he throws is a hitch to Pierre Garçon, and he takes it 70 yards for a touchdown. The Redskins end up winning that game, and Colt McCoy starts the following Monday night at Dallas 
two and five Washington against five and two Dallas. Tony Romo, DeMarco Murray, Dez Bryant, Cole Beasley. Cowboys were pretty good that year. And Colt McCoy leads the Redskins to a 20-17 to overtime win in Dallas. They were a near-double-digit underdog that night. It's another one of those games that goes down in Cowboy-Redskin lore as a game that, you know, when you least expect it. Because really, any Cowboy fan will tell you, any Redskin fan will tell you about the rivalry. You know what? You never know. Like, anything is possible in the games over the years. Like, you think you're better than that team, and somehow you end up losing that game. We've seen that in that rivalry, and that was one of them. You know, 10-point underdogs, 9.5-point underdogs, and Colt McCoy goes 25 of 30 for 299 yards, rushes for a touchdown, and the Redskins beat the Cowboys in overtime 20-17, to a game that will forever be known by Redskin fans as the Colt McCoy game. That is a game with a name, Tommy, and there are lots of others in Redskins history. And I ended up, you know, going through this. We took I could have taken calls for all three hours of the show this morning. <laughs> the, the The phone bank never, ever wasn't completely full with people calling in with Redskin games with names. So I'm, I'm going to get to the, the the others in a moment. You you can start thinking about them too. But I wanted to mention that this was also the first time that we realized if we, well, when I say first time, it was another example of the owner stepping into an area that he should never have stepped into. Um, Jay Gruden was forced to start RG3 the following week. RG3 was back healthy. They were playing Minnesota the following Sunday on the road. The Redskins had gotten it to three and five. Colt McCoy had just played a wonderful game, a memorable game, all right, uh, a memorable game and a half, for that matter. And they, I might want to point out, at that point, the team, the players, were so in love with Colt and so 100% behind Colt after that Dallas game. Oh, my God, I mean, yes. Oh, my yeah. God. They were, because what we sort of knew at that point, but some of us knew, you and I knew, um, we were talking to people. I was talking to Mike at that point. Mike had yet to, to come on for that, you know, two-hour reveal with us on our show, but we we were we, everybody was starting to get you know the news, certainly media members, about how Griffin wasn't very well liked, that he wasn't very good, that Gruden was already extremely frustrated with him in his first season. Um, he was already starting to see that this guy couldn't do it, couldn't run his offense, and Colt knew the playbook, you know, back and forth. He knew it front way, sideways, backwards, the whole way. He was so confident Gruden was in Colt McCoy. But Snyder said, nope, you're starting Griffin. You told me you could develop Griffin. We're 3-5. and five. Robert's ready to play. And the truth is, is that the following week, Robert didn't play that poorly against Minnesota. They lost the game. But then it went downhill, and it was ugly. He was terrible against Tampa. Horrible against San Francisco. I mean, th- these were the days where Cooley would do his film breakdown and he would say, guys, I got to tell you what, seriously, I can't even evaluate the other players on offense because the quarterbacking is so atrocious. And that's when we got the story from NFL Network. I think it was Breer who wrote the story where Gruden was just laying into Griffin publicly. It was truly yeah. one of the worst coach 
you know, articles in season about one of his own players we had ever read. He, he totally summarined. He decapitated uh, Griffin and and did it publicly, which, you know, probably, you know, was not the right thing to do. I remember John Thompson, coach who was still doing his show, and I remember him saying, you can't do that. Maybe he wasn't doing a show. I, I forget. Maybe I forget. Maybe you and I had him on the show or something, and he said, "You can't do that to your quarterback publicly." You know, whether he feels it and whether he's right or not, you can't do it. And he just annihilated Griffin, embarrassed him in that story. Um, and so Griffin then got benched. He finally, I guess, was able to convince. You know, he basically told uh, he he told Snyder and Bruce what Shanahan had once told Snyder and Bruce, and that is, if I don't start the other guy, I lose the locker room. Remember, Mike told us that you know in, at the end of 2013. Yeah. He's like, I, I got to the point where I was losing the locker room by playing him, and and Gruden had got to that point too. He was losing the locker room by 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 continuing to stick Griffin out there. Now Colt McCoy didn't have another moment. You know, the rest of the year. No. He didn't no, have the, didn't. And, and then he got hurt against the Giants, but will forever have the Colt McCoy game. And so, uh, off the top of your head, other Redskins games with names because I got a long list, including a long list that callers and guy and, and people on Twitter uh, sent me. Well, let's let's say recent. Um, when I mean recent, the last 10, 12 years or so. Uh, one that comes to mind is the Swing and Gate game. Yep, that was on my list. Yeah. Uh, swinging gate to end of 2008. Zorn runs yeah. swinging gate. The, the the fake field goal play. Uh, the Giants had called timeout and they had to they had to line it up and he ran it again, thinking that they hadn't seen it, and they <laughs> yeah. stopped it cold. I mean that epitomizes the whole Zorn regime. Yeah. Uh, the Kirk, you like you like that? No doubt. Which by the way has two names for that game. Do you remember what the other one was? No. Code Red code game. Code Red, yeah. The Code Red game, that's right, against Tampa, yeah. Yeah, that was that the you like that game, and that was the Code Red yeah. game. Yeah, that has two names. Well, I mean, a lot of things changed in that game. <laughs> yes. A lot of things could have went the other way. No doubt. If they had lost that game. God, you know, what, you, you know what, Tommy? That's so true, because think about how much money Kirk Cousins has made over the last five years. It's like $180 million, something like that. If he doesn't bring them back against Tampa in the You Like That game, down 24 nothing, he is probably benched now because they had a bye week. They were going into a bye week. I'm pretty sure they were going into a yes, bye week. they were. And then it was like New England coming out on the other side. He might get benched. They probably don't win the division that year. And his whole career, you know, money-wise, earnings-wise, is different. Although Kyle was always going to give him a shot. You know, Sean would have probably given him a shot, too, because they loved him and they thought he could play. But that really was such a huge moment for him and for the team that and year. And the coach. And, and, and the, the coach. coach. That's right. And, and the, the coach, coach of course. Of course. See That's me? Obsessed with Kirk. Red. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he you... wasn't calling it a code red for Kirk. He was yeah. calling it a code red for him. But we all said that worst case, if they lose, Kirk gets benched. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And... Here's one that comes to mind. Uh, and this is a very rare one because it's a preseason game. Osaka. <laughs> yeah, I've got that. That one made the list, too. No I doubt. Mean, how many? How many preseason games are on the list? None. Just one. Osaka. It's just Osaka. Yeah, but we don't even so have great. to call it the Osaka game. We just say Osaka as Redskin fans, and everybody knows what we mean. 
And for those that don't, this is a preseason game in Steve Spurrier's first year as Redskins head coach in 2002. They're playing the 49ers in Osaka, Japan in the first preseason game. The Skins score 38 points, throw for 400 yards or whatever it was, and he's, he basically walked away saying, this is easy. I got this figured out. My favorite part of that is in the regular season, all right, so a month or two months later, they play a game against the 49ers in Candlestick, and they lose the game to the 49ers, and they scored like 13 total points. And after the game, so help me God, you can find this quote. Spurrier says they didn't run some of the same defenses we saw in Osaka. And somebody like I think it was Andy and Steve had him on his uh, had him on their show every Monday night, you know, following the games. And I think it's Steve may have said, "Well, they probably didn't have a lot of the same players on the team that you faced in Osaka." I mean, that's how completely clueless he was to the pro game. You know, he he had no idea. He just thought, well, because remember, in college, you don't have a preseason. That's right. Well, let's study that Osaka film, see what they're running. <laughs> and he's like, wait, we, they got new number jerseys out here. Um, that's a good one. That's the only preseason game on the list. Yeah. Okay, that's my contribution. All right, let me give you the, 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 the names. Like To me, the all-time Redskin name games, okay? The seat cushion game is on the short list of the all-time you know, name games. That's the playoff game against Atlanta and the Falcons, Jerry Glanfield, De- Deion Sanders, you know, MC Hammer and Evander Holyfield are on the sidelines and they handed out seat cushions before the playoff game. It was pouring rain, mud. Gerald Riggs scores late in the game and the seat cushions start flying out of the crowd and onto the field. It was it was a surreal scene as these yellow seat cushions, you know, 55,000 of them basically are flying out onto the field. That's that's a definite, you know, Redskin game with a name. Um, the Daryl Green punt return game is, you know, against the Bears in the playoffs. That's an all-time moment. Whenever you refer to that game, it's the Daryl Green punt return when he had the punt return and pulled the rib cage muscle during the return, and it gave the Redskins the lead at Soldier Field, and they went on to win it. The Monday Night Miracle, which is one of my all-time favorite games, but Brunel to Santana Moss twice in the yeah. final five minutes of the game at Dallas on a Monday night when the Redskins were down 13 nothing, It generated no offense the entire night. And then came the miracle. Two touchdowns, both bombs to Santana Moss. One on a fourth down, and the Redskins stunned the Cowboys 14-13 in the Monday night miracle. And then sticking with Monday night, you've got the Monday night massacre which was the Michael Vick game where yeah. you know the the Redskins signed Donovan McNabb to that phony baloney extension the week leading up to it and it was 28 nothing at the end of the first quarter and on the first play of the second quarter it was 35 to nothing and they went on to win it 59-24 um there is the um, the Ken Houston game, which was another Monday night game. You know, the Redskins beating the Cowboys in 1973, 14-7. On the final play of the game, Craig Morton throws to Walt Garrison. Garrison's about to get into the end zone, and Ken Houston, you know, one of the great safeties in the history of, of, of the league, comes up and makes the tackle. That's always been referred to as the Ken Houston game. And by the way, that's part of my Twitter avatar. 
is the Ken Houston tackle on uh, Walt Garrison. I've been thinking about changing that for a while, but I actually like to look at it. Um, there is the um, the Joe Theismann broken leg game, which was another yeah. Monday night game, you know, against the Giants. Everybody understands that game. Um, well, there's there's the there's the body bag game. The, the body bag game and the Clint Longley game are on the short list of the all time games. The Clint Longley game, yeah. the seventy four Thanksgiving Day game, when they knocked out Staubach, and Longley comes in and throws three touchdowns, which gave Scott Van Pelt's grandfather a heart attack, which is one of our favorite Thanksgiving uh, weekend stories. Scott tells it he was you know I don't know how old he was he was like six years old and he's watching the Cowboy game on Thanksgiving and old Grandpa Lorenzo as long. Longley throws the last pass to Drew Pearson for the touchdown. He clutches his chest, and the next thing Scott remembers is old grandpa's being wheeled off into a, on a stretcher into an ambulance. Um, and yeah, the body bag game, of course, the Monday night game in 1990, the game that brought Brian Mitchell into the game late to play quarterback, and one Redskin after another was carted off the field. The Eagles pummeled the Redskins. It also, by the way, Tommy, created not a name game, but one of my favorite all-time revenge games in Redskin history. To, you know, A month and a half later, at the Vet in Philadelphia, Rippin was back um, because they went through Humphreys, Rutledge, and Brian Mitchell in the body bag game. But yeah. the playoff game in Philly at the Vet, wild card, you know, game, and the Redskins won twenty to six. Buddy Ryan runs off the field before the clock even expires. Doesn't shake Joe Gibbs's hands, uh, hand, and he gets uh, fired the next day. That was a sweet, satisfying revenge game like none other for me in Redskin history. I'll never forget how satisfying that was to answer the body bag game by knocking the Eagles out of the playoffs on their home field and sending Buddy Ryan off the field for good. Um, that was great. Um, there's the headbutt game. Gus Farratt, you know, smacking his head against the wall after score, after the only touchdown of the game for the Redskins in a 7-7 tie against the Giants. Um, there's the Sean Taylor game, which, you know, he had several of them, but this one is when Troy Vincent blocked the field goal. Taylor picks it up on the final play of the game in a tie game. He's running around and he gets uh, trying to score, and they grab his face mask, which leads to an untimed Nick Novak walk off field goal. That's a good one. Um, hold on. What else? Uh, where's my list? Oh. So there, here's another game with sort of two names to it. The No Danny No game. You remember that? No, when Tom oh, Landry? Yeah, which, yeah absolutely. Which some people also refer to as the fatigues game because the Redskins arrived in Dallas, got off the plane, and a lot of the players were wearing Army fatigues like they were going to war. And that game was late in the season. Both teams were 12-2. and two. They were the two best teams in football that year in 1983 um the the two best teams in football at dallas for the division for the number one seed and the redskins blew out the cowboys 31 to 10 and on a fourth and one uh danny white was supposed to try to draw the redskins off sides but he took the snap the Redskins got the stop on, on the running play, and there's that famous shot of Tom Landry, who never showed any emotion, screaming, no, Danny, no, as if <laughs> don't take the snap. 
And uh, and boy, you know nothing. When you think about the the, the great rivalry, Redskins Cowboys over the years, especially when you you know bring up the the significant figures in the rivalry. Tom Landry obviously was one of the top five figures in in the rivalry, and he never showed emotion, and yet you knew how big that game was. You know how much they wanted to beat the Redskins because he showed emotion like you never saw on that play. Well, well, listen. Part of the identity of the Cowboys was built on their rivalry with the Redskins. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean. And, and, and Landry was a big part of building that identity. Right. You know, so yeah. absolutely. I mean, he didn't verbalize it like maybe George Allen did, but you know he felt the same way. The, um, the, uh, there was, oh, the Daryl Green runs down Tony Dorsett game. You know, that Monday night game in 83 that opened up the season, Cowboys won that game 31-30. to The most memorable play of that game, and it's, it's a memorable play in Redskin history, is Daryl Green playing his first game as a Redskin. And him starting 15 yards behind the great Tony Dorsett and on the other side of the field and somehow catching Dorsett like at about the five-yard yes. line. Yes. Um, man, Daryl Green is in a in a bunch of these. Um, you know, there's the Ramskin game of 1971. George Allen's first year, they went to the Coliseum with all the former Rams that he had signed and traded for during the off season, and that was actually a game where the Redskins uh, clinched their first playoff berth in like 25 years. Um, and there are a few others. I mean, you know, 35-34, the Cowboy-Redskin game at the end of 79. Some of the callers said, what about 48-47, which was the highest Monday night scoring game of all time? Until, I think, until, um, Aaron, I didn't know the answer to this on the air, and I didn't go look it up. The, the Rams-Chiefs Monday night game from a couple of years ago, remember? Mm-hmm. was Did that break the Redskins-Packers record for the most points? Wasn't it 50-something to 50-something? I think it did. I'll have to look that up. Uh, it, yeah, it was 54-51. Yeah, first so, NFL game in history where both teams scored more than 50 right, points. So that scoring Monday night. That, that broke the Redskins-Packers record for the highest scoring Monday night game, which stood forever. And by the way, Mosley missed a couple of field goals in that game, including a 39-yarder at the gun that would have won the game 50-48. to um, that was one of two games in 1983 that the Redskins lost in their 14 and two season, and both of the games they lost were by one point. You know, to to the Cowboys on Monday Night Football 31-30, and to the Packers on Monday Night Packers, Football yeah. 48 uh, to 47. But you can tweet me or tweet Tommy uh, at Kevin Sheehan DC or at Tom Lavero. If I mean, I know we've left some games off, and I we I, I took calls and and wrote down some of the ones that I didn't have. Some um, somebody came up like somebody was trying to remember a Gary Clark game, and I, I, Gary Clark had so many great games, but I don't remember a game so, sort of named for Gary Clark. Um, but, what about the shock, shock and awe game? You know what, Tommy? I mean, <laughs> you and I call it that. <laughs> uh, I've I've forever given you credit. You nailed that one. RG3's first game against the New Orleans Saints in 2012, his rookie debut, and Tommy said during the week leading up to the game, he's like, I am predicting shock and awe. <laughs> and it was. He was unbelievable. I mean, just yes, he the, was. the offense they rolled out in that game was spectacular um, to watch. Um, anyway, I, I think we've hit on 
a bunch of them, but feel free to tweet us uh, any that we have uh, forgotten. Um, I would probably say that the body bag game, the Clint, you know, some of these are losses. The Clint Longley game, uh, the seat cushion game, uh, the Monday night miracle, those are the ones that really have one name. Like if you say as a Redskin fan, the Clint Longley game, everybody knows what you're talking about. The body bag game, everybody knows what you're talking about. You know, the Monday night, uh, Monday night miracle, everybody knows what you're talking about. And really, you know, the Code Red, you like that. Everybody knows what you're talking about pretty much. Daryl Green punt return, I, I would everybody argue, knows. I would argue the swing and gate game is the one that people think of to define the, uh, the tenure of Dan Snyder. I think that that is true. That it is a memorable, it's a memorable label. I don't know how. I don't know that you immediately immediately say, "Oh, that's that giant Monday night game before Zorn got fired." Oh, I think they do. I okay, think, I think everybody does, and they got beat like forty-five to fourteen or forty-five something like to twelve or something. Yeah, forty-five 12, fourteen, yeah. something like that. It was terrible. And then they lost the following week with they hired Bruce Allen the following week and fired Vinny yes. Serrato. And uh, Allen was there for another night game uh, debacle. They got shut out by the Cowboys, I think, 17 nothing or something like that. Oh, here's, here, here's one last uh, thing on this. So the Seattle playoff game, you know, the RG3 getting injured game, which will be a much debated game forever, right? It's, it's, the, it's, it's certainly a, a top 10 memorable all-time Redskin game because of the circumstances. But it really doesn't have a name to it, although some people said it's the RG knee game. I've never heard it described as that. It's just the Seattle playoff game where Griffin got hurt. I don't know that anybody ever really labeled it with a name. I never heard of a name before. I mean, you know, you know some of our, our friends still blame old Shanny for that one. Ugh. Whatever. All right, um, let's get to some other Redskins uh, stuff, uh, more current, uh, as in things that happened yesterday and things that may happen here in the coming days. Um, Logan Thomas, they signed uh, to uh, a deal. Logan Thomas is a tight end now. Most of you remember him as a quarterback for Virginia Tech. They also signed Cornelius Lucas to a two-year $5.3 million deal. Um, Lucas played tackle for the Bears last year. He's really been a journeyman for the most part. Um, and uh, he's six eight. Um, he's he's a backup. This is a depth, you know, signing. Unless they get desperate and they lose Trent Williams and they can't re-sign Donald Penn and and they don't have anybody else to play. Because I'll tell you what's becoming very clear um, to me is they have no no confidence in Jaron Christian to be a starting tackle for them. Uh, I think that ship has sailed. I think the tape proves it. I think the fact that he played so little in meaningless games at the end of the year sort of was an indication that they, they, they've pretty much moved on from Christian, a third-round pick. Um, but Lucas is more of a depth guy. I think there's a chance, and Cooley told us this the other day, that Donald Penn could end up being re-signed. And Josina Anderson, who does a really good job, um, as a reporter, sort of suggested that Donald Penn would be open to coming back. I think it brings up, you know, as we as we continue to to move forward with free agency without a Trent Williams deal, Tommy. To me, the it's not likely, okay, but the possibility grows day by day that Trent Williams could play for the Redskins next year. 
Now, I'd still put it at a 20%, 21% chance. You know, I think I was at 20% the other day, so I'll move it up to 21% now. Bottom line is he wants too much money, and the Redskins aren't going to get back what they want for him, um, at least as of now. You've got a draft loaded with left tackles. I think we may be in a, a situation where if a team pulls the trigger on Trent, it'll be after the draft. Um, I, I can't say that definitively. They may decide in evaluating the draft, you know what, our answer is not in the draft. Let's make a move for him right now. And Tampa could do it. You know, Arizona could still do it. But I, I think that the left tackle situation is going to be interesting because I bet some at Redskins Park think there's still a chance he could line up and play left tackle for him. I guess so. I don't see how. I mean, I just don't see, I just don't see that happening. Uh, I think they're going to have to trade him. Yeah, but I mean, but, know, but they have they have to find somebody to trade him to somebody that's willing to pay him what he wants and somebody willing to pay the Redskins compensate the Redskins for what they want. If that doesn't well, happen, think, he's not going to hold out two years in a row. No, he's not. So his demands will come down and he'll become more tradable. That's possible. But he's going to be traded. I, I think I, I think the the odds significantly favor that too. Um, I'm just saying yeah. that if he is like Jadavian Clowney right now, you know Clowney's unsigned. It's very interesting the Clowney thing. Um, I I found out and I mentioned this maybe a week ago or two weeks ago in the podcast that that Houston offered Jadavian Clowney straight up for the for Trent Williams and the Redskins weren't even listening at that point, but they got the message across to at least somebody, maybe not Bruce, but somebody else in the organization that they would trade Jadavian Clowney straight up for Trent Williams. The Redskins, you know, they they were intent on making Trent bleed, um, as Les Carpenter wrote. Um, so. Um, Clowney, you know, when he got traded to Seattle, um, uh, which was another, you know, mindless trade by Bill O'Brien and Houston in terms of what they got back. But part of that trade was Clowney getting uh, commitment from Seattle that they wouldn't franchise him. You know what, Aaron? In some ways, Clowney probably would have preferred to have been franchised. Maybe. I mean, nobody's paying him what he wants, and it's sort of a, you know, it's sort of an indicator for Trent Williams right now that, you know, you're not worth what you think you're worth. You know, Clowney, God, man, he's such a good player. I I know. I would want Clowney. Um, So would I. Since we last... uh, I I think Trent is just going to have to... I think both sides are going to come to reality where Trent's going to have to lower his demands and the Redskins are going to have to lower their expectations of what they'll get for him. I would not lower my expectations. I would not. Oh, I would. I know you would. I feel differently now. I mean, I'd love to see him get traded, but only for, you know, uh, 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 the top half of the second round pick or higher. Nothing lower than that. If I don't get that, I'm not trading him. And I'm, I'm just telling him, go ahead, hold out if you want. Or come in and play I'll for trade us. him for two, two threes. Well, two threes is sort of the equivalent to one two. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would be, um, I'd be okay with two third rounders, I guess. The Jets have them. A couple of other teams have them, I think. Oh, I think this the third rounder this year and next year. Yeah, I, I got to pull up the draft. Do the Jets? The Jets do have. Um, Jets have. I don't need two third rounders this year. Why not? I'll take one, a third rounder this year, and a third rounder next year. Yeah, I'll take them sooner rather than later. They're 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 worth more immediately. Um, I just let me just look this up real quickly because in the third round, I think it was the Jets that had two third rounders. Yeah, they do. They have 68 and 79. 
Um, and then other teams that would be potentially interested. What does Tampa have in the second round? In the second round, Tampa's got... Probably the 13th pick. They have 45 overall, so that's 13th, exactly, in the second round. And that's what they have. Oh, they have two second rounders. No, they have one second rounder. My fault. Tampa has one second rounder, and then Tampa has one third rounder. Um, anyway, all right. Um, so uh, real quickly, before we get to a quarterback conversation, because there was, there was some quarterback discussion yesterday about guys like, you know, well, two days ago about Cam Newton, yesterday about Jameis uh, Winston. Um, the, uh, the other si- the signings that they made since we were last uh, – Sean Davis is fine with me. I, I'll t- to be honest with you, um, I think Monte Nicholson's upside is much higher. But Monte Nicholson, you know, is, is a bit of an issue, you know, with the off-the-field stuff that he's been involved in. And, by the way, he misses games. Now, Sean Davis was available for not a lot of money, you know, a deal, one-year deal worth up to like four or five million bucks because he missed 15 games last year with a shoulder injury. Um, I personally think that this guy, J.D. McKissick, can play. It also is very telling to me that they signed J.D. McKissick because it was my understanding that they were going to make a run at Kenyon Drake if he had become available. And what it says to me is them signing McKissick, even though it's not a big deal, it's a one-year deal, okay? But they feel they have a need at running back, uh, a versatile running back. Why? Because Darius Geis, you know, isn't always available. And by the way, you know, there may be some other concerns with Darius Geis. Did you see the Isn't picture he tweeted available? out? Yeah, I saw that. Isn't ever available. Yeah, ever. <laughs> I mean, out of the 32 possible games he could have started in, he's been available for three of them, right? Am I right? Three yeah. or four of them. Um, McKissick's really fast. Is is a former receiver. Uh, at Arkansas State, which is why he became a really good pass option for the teams that he played for, Detroit and Seattle. Um, It wouldn't surprise me if he ends up making the team. It means the end, by the way, clearly, uh, for uh, Chris Thompson. And then recently... He was one of my favorite players. Everybody's, right? Such a smart guy, such a good guy. And like I, I said this before, when you saw him and Jordan Reed healthy and on the field at the same time, you saw how potent the Redskins' offense could have been under Gruden. You know with those two guys when they were healthy and the O line was healthy. And by the way, you had Garcon and you had Jackson, and you had Gruden's pass offense with a guy running it like Cousins, who really knew how to run it. They yeah. there in 2016, you know, moments in 2015 and early 2017 before all the injuries, they really did have a very potent offense. They did absolutely. Um, and he could have been a big part of it. Uh, a Mike Shanahan draft pick, drafted the same year Jordan Reed was, uh, and I hope he has success elsewhere with his career. Me too, because what you said is so true, and a lot of our listeners don't, you know, always get the sense of this. You, if you ask any media person, you can't find one that didn't love Chris Thompson. Chris Thompson was yeah. mature. He was smart. He was a great interview. He was a nice, nice guy. Um, and you know, not all of them are that way. <laughs> you know, that's, let's be honest. Not all of them. There are a lot more that are like that way. But Chris Thompson was certainly a media favorite, and a, and by the way, you could tell a team favorite and a coaching staff favorite. Yeah, and for what it's worth, uh, when I had him on my cigars and curveballs podcast, yeah, and one of the guys, one of the questions I asked him was, who did he fear? Who did he like going up against? Who who gave him the most problems? on defense as, as, as a back, and 
he mentioned Thomas Davis as one of the smartest players in the league. Well, let me end with that before you get into your column about the quarterbacks, and we can talk about quarterbacks here for a moment. So, because I th- this I, I I forget if we mentioned this on Wednesday or not. So Thomas Davis is going to turn thirty-seven before the season. He's a longtime linebacker in the league. Had a very productive season last year in Los Angeles for the Chargers. Um, he was one of Ron Rivera's favorites. If you remember those Carolina teams with Keekley and Davis and Kwan Short, and then in the secondary, you know guys like Norman, um, et cetera, Kurt Coleman, the great, really good defensive teams, the team that went to the Super Bowl. Thomas Davis was a tackling machine, was smart, was well-liked, was like a coach on the field. And if you watch what the Redskins have done here early in free agency, you know, one of the things we're learning, and by the way, I would say this about Amari Cooper too. Um, Amari Cooper is is very well liked, very coachable, thought to be a, a, a super, you know, opposite of the diva wide receivers. Not to mention really, really talented, which is why I think the Redskins really made a a hard run for for Cooper. But they re-signed Adrian Peterson, okay, who everybody likes and respects, and has become a real mentor and leader on that team. They re-signed John Bostic. John Bostic was like the coach on the field last year. By the way, John is another one of those guys that everybody likes out there, smart. Um, and if they sign Thomas Davis. Like right now, what we're learning about what R- Rivera is trying to put together here, and by the way, just the fact that they're really pushing hard on another running back might tell you what they think about not only the durability, but maybe something else about Darius Geis, you know, and some of their young running backs. Um, but they want, you know, they want a combination of really good players, but he's trying his best to change the culture. You know, he's, tr- he's doing his best in trying to bring in people that will not only be able to play well, and Davis played well last year. And, and by the yeah, way, if I, if I didn't say this on the Wednesday podcast, because I think he hadn't been signed yet, but Davis is, a, is an outside linebacker, for those of you wondering. In their 4-3 defense, he's really more of a weak side outside linebacker, which is what I thought maybe Cole Holcomb would play. I think they're, they're going to like Ryan Anderson on the other side. And then, you know, your middle linebacker right now, you know, is John Bostic, depending on what Reuben Foster's availability is. And, and by the way, how they feel about Reuben Foster. This is a new day. You know, this is a new group, and and I think we're seeing some of the decisions made about the quality and the character of the people that they want in the organization as well. Um, but anyway, okay, that leads us to your column and a conversation. It's not, it's, it's not a column. It was just, just a Twitter thing oh, I threw out there. I'm sorry, because I didn't think I got a column from you, but I thought you said that before the show. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that uh, after uh, I quickly mention stamps.com. Stamps.com is perfect for small businesses, but in the environment we're living in right now, it's good for you at home as well. It saves a trip and eliminates a trip to the post office. Uh, If you're hunkered down and you need to continue to pay bills and put stamps on them and get them into the mail, use Stamps.com. It saves you time. It saves you money. It brings all of the services of the U.S. Post Office right to your computer. For small businesses, it's really, really, really effective. It's perfect for sending invoices or shipping out products, or if you're a warehouse sending packages, use Stamps.com. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, it's available for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Time isn't the only thing you'll be saving with Stamps.com. You'll get $0.05 off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off shipping rates. It's a no-brainer 
currently 700,000 plus small businesses and a lot of residential homes are using stamps.com. For my listeners, here's the special offer. It includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Kevin DC. That's Stamps.com, enter Kevin DC. They need a quarterback, Tommy. They still don't have one. What are they going to do? Well, that's the question I put out on Twitter this morning. I mean, we've heard from Ron Rivera about competition at the quarterback position uh and we keep hearing that drum being uh being you know banged in terms of bringing in a quarterback who can push Dwayne and compete with Dwayne and then I see you know the some of the names mentioned like Cam, when they became available like Cam Newton and and a Jameis Winston uh and I'm thinking well Cam Newton isn't coming here uh, if he's not the starter. But let's even say you're bringing in Jameis Winston. I don't think that's happening either. Uh, to compete with Dwayne Haskins. He's going to beat out Dwayne Haskins. <laughs> come on. I mean, come on. He's got to beat him out. He's a five, what, a four or five year NFL quarterback who threw 30 touchdowns in the league last year. He also threw 33 he, interceptions. I know. He's got to be. Was it, or was it opposite, Aaron? Was it 33 touchdowns, no, 30 interceptions? No, I think it was 30 30. It, it was 30. I think it was 33 touchdowns, 30 interceptions. Yeah, I think yes. that's what it was. I think you're okay. right. Yeah. Okay. So, so my question would be are they really going to bring in a quarterback that would, that, that, that would risk actually winning the job if they had a real competition? Or are they going to bring in a non threatening backup? And I've maintained, and you have all along, that they're not going to bring in somebody who's really going to compete with Dwayne. They're going to bring in somebody who knows the minute you sign him, everybody knows he's the backup, including him. That's what I thought. Would, that's been my take all along, is that when we got down to it, they would sign, you know, the – well, Chase Daniels signed with somebody else. But it would be, you know, a Brett Hundley or a Matt Moore or it would be one of those guys that we would all say to ourselves as fans of the team, yeah, that guy's a backup. That's who they're bringing yeah. in. They're bringing in a backup. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. I, I, so, I, I, so they're not going to bring in one of these guys uh, to, to push Dwayne because – Well, there aren't many of those guys left except for Newton and Winston, right? Am I forgetting yeah. anybody? Everybody and, else has landed so, in this spot. And, Andy, Andy Dalton, Dalton, you'd have to trade for, That's and true. and right. Newton might get released. Yes, yes, he might. And I keep hearing about how how close the relationship is between Newton and Ron Rivera. Right, I've heard that for nothing but two days. Right. I mean, I don't know that, but that's what. That's what you hear from people in Carolina. Well, it was that guy. Um, God, why do I keep blanking on his name? Um, the the fantasy guy for ESPN, Matthew Barry. Matthew Barry, who is a big Redskin fan, he was the one that had that like a month ago that said Cam Newton and Rivera are super super tight. So, do you think he winds up here? Well, the thing that I said the other day that you weren't here for. Um, I don't think no. I think the answer is no. And personally, I don't think they should want Cam Newton um, here um, for for a number of reasons. But the reason that they might want someone like Cam Newton would be the following, and this would apply to all teams with new coaching staffs or new quarterbacks. And that is, Tommy, with no off season, 
You're not going to have OTAs. You're not going to have mini camp. I mean, at this point, you, you might have a very condensed training camp. It's going to be really hard to, you know, get a new quarterback and a new offense, uh, to, you know, up to speed on your system that you're trying to implement. It's going to be much more difficult. You know how we hear every year how important it is for all the offseason work for the quarterback and the offense oh, yeah. and the whole thing. Yeah. So, you know, all I thought about the other day, and I, I don't think it would happen, but what if they get into a position where they say, we've got no offseason work. They're going to give us a week of training camp and then tell us to go start playing games or two weeks of camp and we're going to start playing games. You know, then maybe, maybe they bring in Cam to say – we got somebody that can run the offense until Dwayne's comfortable enough to run it. It wouldn't be Dwayne's Maybe. fault. No, it wouldn't be Dwayne's fault, but he wouldn't be happy about it. Uh, and <laughs> if nothing else, uh, you know, I, I guess I guess we could find out that uh, NFL football is not brain surgery. If people can get ready for it within a week or so. Well, maybe you would... all we usually hear is about how hard the offense is to learn. Right. And how, what a struggle it is to learn the offense. It's true. And and so I think we'll see a little bit different scene if it's a very shortened preparation period to the start of the season. I've got another name to throw at you here in a moment. But I do, you know, I, I, I understand, you know, the sarcasm. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is, is they'll figure it out. And if they have to play a game, they'll get, they'll get a, you know, a, a scaled-down playbook ready to play. But I do think it's one of those things that, you know, it's not just the quarterback when it's a new coaching staff. You know, when it's a new coaching staff and a new system, it's everybody on offense. And if you don't have an offseason to implement that, remember, you know, when you've got a new coaching staff, you're exempt from hard knocks, right? That's one of the exemptions from hard knocks, right, Aaron? If you've got a new coaching staff. Yes. You typically, don't you typically get an extra mini camp? When you've got a new coaching staff, or at least that was the case in the old CBA, you know, there's a reason for that because it does take time to put in that new system. So teams that are coming back with continuity are teams that you're probably going to want to play early in the season if there's no offseason, you know, if we end up having no offseason. Now, you know, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, somehow we always manage to figure out at the JM Hill School field. How to run plays. <laughs> yeah. We managed to figure it out. I'll tell you what, you know, in the games that we would play on Brookway Drive, it was, you see that tree over there? <laughs> you know, fake like you're going out and then run a post. Um, yeah, you always could figure it what out. Do you think, what do you think Sonny said to Charlie Taylor for crying out loud? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, there's another name that, that became available yesterday. And that name is Joe Flacco, hon. <laughs> oh, Flacco's <laughs> available. You know, I feel badly for Joe. You know, I'm a, I, most people that listen know that I've always liked Joe Flacco. I think he's a clutch performer, always has been. I've never, ever said he's an elite quarterback. I've just said that in a big game, I'd love to have Joe. Because like, like Tommy, we used to joke, he was oblivious to anything. Not the brightest bulb on the bush, but no, never no. felt pressure because he really didn't understand what was supposed to be a pressure situation, more likely than not. Always incredibly well-liked by his teammates and respected by his teammates. When he, when he left Baltimore last year, I loved some of the things that his teammates, both current and former, said about him and what Harbaugh said about him. You know, Baltimore loved Flacco, even though I think a lot of fans realized it was time to go in a different direction with Lamar Jackson. 
And, you know, the truth of the matter is last year in Denver, he was actually, you know, the numbers won't say it, but I was following the Broncos early in the year last year and watching some of those games, and they got jobbed. I mean, he brought them back um, in a game. Uh, uh, in, in they started off the season with a Monday night loss at Oakland, and then they got totally hosed on a game where Flacco drove them for the winning touchdown, and then there was a a late hit called uh, on on the um, on the Chicago quarterback Trubisky that gave them new downs, and they ended up winning a, on a field goal. Same thing happened to them against Jacksonville. They started zero and four. They should have been two and two. Okay, potentially could have been three and one, and then they started winning some games, and then Flacco got hurt, um, and you know, and that was it. You know, they they put Drew Locke in. They like Locke. Locke's the future. Flacco is released. He's available. Personally, I think he'd be a really good backup. He's not a guy right now that probably. I think he probably understands that he's not going to get a starting job next year. And he's a great teammate, and and by the way, a guy that you could bring in that's sort of similar to Dwayne, you know. Not as I think Dwayne's more mobile, um, but you know, big, strong, can make the throws. It's not a bad backup. I don't know. You've got a lot more faith in Joe Flacco than I do. So you don't I mean, even I, think I, he can be a backup? Not here. I don't think it's too close to home. Do you know the Redskins were interested in Flacco last year? Remember, really? there were some reports that the Redskins were one of the teams that were interested in Flacco, but Flacco, you know, just it went to Denver. I think the, the Denver money and the uh, Elway um, push, uh, yeah, made made that the more tradable partner because they sort of gave Joe a say, I think, into where he got traded. Um, well, there aren't. Look, in terms of the guys that would really push Dwayne. At this point, Bridgewater signed, Brady signed, Rivers signed, um, Mariota signed or committed right to the Raiders. So there, who's left of the guys that you know? Other than it's Winston and Newton, those are the only two. You're right. You're right. So if you don't think Winston, and I don't, and what's really interesting are all the reports that Winston could end up in New England. I think that's fascinating. I think Winston's got so much talent, man. So much talent. If he, if if for whatever reason. If if he can figure out a way to stop throwing it to the other team as much as his own team, he's going to be prolific. By the way, Tommy, um, Aaron, did did I mention this to you the other day? I was listening to this interview with Rick Stroud on Mad Dog. Mm-hmm. Stroud is this reporter in Tampa covering yes, the Buccaneers. Yes. And this guy went on and on about how well-respected and well-liked Jameis Winston is by players and coaches in Tampa. He said that, uh, specifically said the coaches, um, Bruce Arians, they love Jameis Winston. They love his talent. They love his leadership. They love his commitment. Um, And the problem is he just throws too many interceptions. That's the problem. But I think that's a different... um, view or narrative on him than most people would think. Yeah, I think it is. A- absolutely. I'd love to see him in New England with Belichick. Yeah, that'd be interesting. You know what? I'm excited about Brady in Tampa. I really am. Um, words coming in on the deal that he signed. Uh, do you have that, Aaron? I, th- I thought yeah, I saw it's, it. It's two years, 50 million guaranteed. 50, not 60, huh? Well, Fifty million guaranteed, and then there's nine point five million in incentives, which some people are saying are kind of easy. So it's basically going to be that two years sixty, all guaranteed. 
Uh, at least the $50 million is all guaranteed. There's no trade clause. They're also not allowed to franchise him. They made He made sure to put that in, not allowed to franchise him at the end of the two years, which is interesting because you would think that that would be it. That would be it. Yeah, because he'll be 45 at that point, right? Yeah. After two full seasons, because he's going to turn 43. Do I have that right? He's 42, but he's about to turn 43. So at the end of that second season, he would be, well, 44, getting ready to turn 45, I guess. I think that's what he is. Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, Brady with TB12 and the whole thing, he probably thinks he can play until 50. He probably does. I'm more of a Belichick guy. I'm much more excited to see what Belichick does when everyone's laughing at him and counting him out. It's funny. I'm I'm both. I like them both, and I'm actually in some ways rooting for them both to succeed. I know that's weird, but I the, the greatness of the two of them together in their teams. I mean, I've never hated the Patriots at all, um, and I've loved watching them, and I've loved this era. I mean, two decades we've had. Think about what we've had as football fans with the New England Patriots' greatness being a constant for two decades. It is the all-time NFL dynasty. I mean, is there any debate to that, Tommy? No, there's not. I mean, you could argue the Steelers, who since 1970 have won, what, six Super Bowls. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, that's you know, that's 50 years. I know. Was, You're right. they, they won their first in 75. Yeah. As opposed to 20. You're right. I mean, the Packers didn't do it for 20 years. Did the Bears of the 30s and 40s? I mean, the Redskins of the 30s and 40s were great. Um, I don't think we've ever seen greatness like this for two straight decades in the NFL. We, you know, it's possible you, you know, that we saw it with the Celtics in the NBA, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, right? You know, and yeah. all, all those titles. But, you know, to, and, and by the way, you know, same quarterback, same coach. Um, you know, the, 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 the same two guys at the helm 20 years it's really amazing i think it's going to be fascinating to watch the nfl next year because of this i personally think that the buccaneers are a super bowl contender out of the nfc um when we first started talking about this aaron i don't know three months ago and i said god to me tampa would be the perfect spot for him if he doesn't end up in new england and not that that was the odds on favorite or i I thought he would end up in tampa i just thought it was a great fit for him um, they're going to be very good next year. The difference, of course, is they play in a division that is not the AFC East. You know, they're not going to have six easy wins every year, or certainly five. You know, that NFC South has been consistently pretty strong. Atlanta's going to be good. New Orleans will probably still be the favorite. I haven't seen the updated odds on that, but I'm assuming that New Orleans will still be the favorite and maybe a slight favorite over Tampa. Yeah. Um, but we saw the the Super Bowl odds on t- on Tampa. They are the fifth favorite on sportsbook.com right now. Actually, they're now tied for the fourth favorite. How about that? Chiefs, Ravens, 49ers, and then the Saints and the Buccaneers are both 15 to 1 on sportsbook.com. I wouldn't take that bet. Not even close. I I don't think Brady's going to be the success that you think he is or everybody thinks he is. I don't think I think Tampa's going to be a disappointment. Explain this one to me, Aaron. I mean, I know it has to do with schedules and divisions and then what the postseason would look like. The odds to win the NFC Championship, the Saints are the favorite with the 49ers, and then the Cowboys are 8-1 to one, and the Buccaneers are 8.5-1. to one. So the Bucs are the fourth, tied for the fourth overall Super Bowl favorite, but they're the fourth in the NFC 
on their own. Well, don't forget, it also has to do with the fact that over the past 48 hours, uh, people have been pouring in Super Bowl bets on yeah, the Bucs. Yeah, true. That's true. And, and That's not probably necessarily on the NFC Championship. What's the, how's their over-under number moved? Um, I think I saw eight to eight and a half, something like that. Well, how can you be the fourth favorite in your totals, eight and eight yeah. and a half? Because everyone just wants to yeah. bet you to win the Super Bowl. Yeah. I like. I think they're going to have a really good chance. Yeah, let me just say that if it weren't, if Bruce Arians or somebody of his caliber weren't there, I wouldn't feel as confident. But I think that's one of the reasons Brady picked Tampa. You know, is that he knows that they've got a really solid coaching staff and a guy that's really been good with quarterbacks in Bruce Arians. Sixty million bucks over two years, fifty of it guaranteed for Tom Brady at forty-three years old. That's pretty remarkable. It really is. All right. What else do we have? I got nothing else for you, boss. I have one more thing for you and for Aaron, too. I was thinking about all the players that you're starting to hear testing positive for coronavirus. Would it be any, like at this point, Sean Payton in the NFL, um, Marcus Smart yesterday from the Celtics, and two Lakers that have not been named yet, right? What if LeBron James tested for coronavirus? I was wondering what kind of impact that would have on sports, on pop culture, on anything. Like, what if, because, uh, I mean, wouldn't we pretty much say that right now, I mean, I guess Brady would be there with LeBron in terms of the highest profile athletes? I would say so. Well, what kind of impact did Tom Hanks testing positive have? I think it was it was an eye opener, like to anybody. I I don't know. He's he's in his sixties. LeBron's in his thirties. Right. Who's more? I don't know. Who's more famous, LeBron or Hanks? Uh, I would say Hanks. Yeah, it's probably pretty close. Yeah, I I would say Hanks. I don't know anyone who needs their eyes opened at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Again, younger people, it's on spring break, need it. Yeah. All right, whatever. Uh, That's it for the day. Um, Tommy and I are out. Uh, Have a safe, healthy weekend uh, back on Monday. You too, boss.